Hi, my name is Rob Mayen. I have the privilege of speaking, sharing this morning. Uh, we've been here at the church for over 25 years. Our kids grew up here. They all served and were active. And my wife and I were very involved uh, both in uh, the ministries of the church and also in Awanas that was a part of the church. One of the highlights for us if, uh, has always been the Bible study classes on Sunday. If you attend this church, I'd encourage you to check out a class as well as the worship service. Those classes have really been a relational lifeline for us. Um, you can see on the screen that we're on staff with an organization called, called The Navigators. Uh, Navigators is an international Christian organization. We focus on uh, evangelism and discipleship, equipping laborers. You see our little tagline, there that I've always loved, and one reason I really like it here at Hoffmantown is the alignment between this tagline and what we're trying to do here at Hoffmantown Church, and that is to know Christ, to help him know, uh, to make him known, and help others do the same. So we want to help people come to a personal relationship with Christ and to be growing in that relationship, and then also them helping others in turn so that there's generations of people who are reaching more and more. We're a week out from Mother's Day now. Oh, one other thing I mentioned or I have on the screen there is a picture of a trip we took to Africa last year. We have responsibilities here in the States, but some overseas responsibilities as well. And last year, we were in uh, three countries in Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, and Uganda. So uh, pictures of those people, the wonderful people we met, and just the privilege we, it was for us to be over there. We're a week out from Mother's Day. Hope you're thinking about uh, gifts on that, what you're going to give your mom. I, uh, I had a list of five worst Mother's Day gifts. Those include almost anything from a drugstore. You want to watch out for that. Cleaning supplies, imitation perfumes, mustache remover, probably not the way you want to go. Home appliances. Now, a George Foreman grill, that sounds pretty good. But maybe not a shop vac or a floor sander. Uh, what else? Not, don't give a gift that's really for you. Like the husband who says, hey, I bought you that 96-inch flat screen LED TV you've always wanted. And guess what? It came with the sports package. You know, we probably want to stay away with that from that as well. Gym memberships may not be a great idea. So think of something that uh, she wants and make that a good gift for Mother's Day. I uh, ran across this article on what famous mothers might have said uh, to their children. And I, I uh, wondered if you could... Relate to any of this. So uh, the first one is Mona Lisa's mother. Uh, you know the famous picture of Mona Lisa. Mona's, Mona Lisa's mother might have said, "After all the money your father and I spent on braces, that's the biggest smile you can give us." You know that might be Humpty Dumpty's mother. Humpty, I told you once. If I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times. Don't sit on that wall. But would you listen to me? No. And then I liked uh, Michelangelo's mother. Uh, Mike, can't you paint on the walls like other children? Do you have any idea how hard it is to get that stuff off the ceiling? So those are uh, some thoughts, uh, hopefully to lighten up and help you enjoy what's ahead. We know that this is a tough time for everyone. Three guidelines that we're focusing on in terms of uh, the pandemic crisis is the first one is to be practical 
in terms of what you do. Take the precautions you need, especially uh, either if you're an at-risk person or around people are at risk. Uh, we wear masks when we're out in public just uh, as a precaution. So be practical. Second thing is be prayerful. Hopefully, as Christians, we're praying more than ever before. We're praying for uh, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're praying especially for those who don't know Christ. And then the third thing is to be purposeful. Be practical, be prayerful, and then be purposeful. Think in terms of God's priorities. We were talking with one of the classes here at the church, and we asked the question, are you more of a lifeboat or a lighthouse in terms of your mentality? Uh, a lifeboat mentality is kind of all the hoarding and those stories. You know, it's just about me and what I want. A lighthouse is focusing on others. And of course, Jesus told us to be a light in the world. And one way that we can be a light in the world is through demonstrating love to the people around us. You can see the title on uh, the screen there that we're using today is Tough Love. We're going to be looking at John 13. We're going to be talking this week and next week about tough love. But we're going to use this phrase differently than you normally hear it. Generally, when people are talking about tough love, they're talking about somehow being hard on a person now, but in a way that will be helpful to them in the long run. But I want you to throw out that definition. What we want to do is think of the definition of tough and see how Jesus Love is tough love. So the definition of love is, I wrote down three things out of a Webster's Dictionary. One is able to endure hardship or pain. Another is able to withstand extreme or difficult conditions. And the last is strong and resilient. That's what the word tough means. And really, it's important for us to think about Jesus' love because the world we encounter, or the love we encounter in, in our society it's not really tough love, is it? In our society, uh, we equate love with what? Physical attraction. People describe love in terms of how they feel about people rather than how they treat people. We even talk about falling in love and out of love. So that may be cultural, but it's not so biblical. Jesus' love, the love that he showed his disciples, people while he was on earth, and then the love that he has for us, that's tough love. It's the kind of love we want to consider in this passage. Jesus' love is strong and resilient. It's able to do, uh, endure hardship or pain, able to withstand, or withstand extreme or difficult conditions. And that's the kind of love Jesus modeled. It's the kind of love he has for us. It's the kind of love he wants us to have for others. So you see the passage we're going to look at. We're going to center on the chapter, but kind of the theme is John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another just as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know you are my disciple if you love one another. So that's the kind of love. And so what's new in this? It's interesting to think about this can command because the command for God's people to love is not new. All the way back in Leviticus, that's where 
uh, Jesus first quoted Leviticus 19:18, where it says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." So Jesus, throughout the old, or God throughout the Old Testament, talked about loving your neighbor. But here, there's something new, and what the new part is is that we are to love like Jesus. Love one another just as I have loved you. And that's the tough love, isn't it? The love that Jesus had. Jesus taught about love. The word love is used a hundred or more times just in the Gospels. And then he modeled love in all his relationships. In fact, as you read through the stories, the histories of Jesus in the Gospels, you'll notice that every center, every single interaction that Jesus had with people was a loving interaction. Not only did he uh, teach it and model it, but his disciples caught it. Love's used a hundred or so times in the Gospels. In the rest of the New Testament, it's another 200 times. His followers talked about love all the time. And what can we love, learn from Jesus' example? Well, you see it on the screen. He loves us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And that's important. God loves us because he chooses to do so. And many times we feel unlovable, don't we? But the Bible teaches that God loves us because he's a loving God. And Jesus demonstrated that. And he expects, as he lives in us, for us to love other people, regardless of whether or not they're lovable, simply because he is loving and he wants to love through us. So what was new? We're to love like Jesus. What was known? Well, we're going to look at four characteristics or four marks of the love of Jesus that we see in John 13. And the first one we see in the very first verse. Jesus' love, tough love, never gives up. Look at John 13, 1. Before the Passover celebration, and again, this is the night before Jesus was crucified. This is during Passover. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Another definition of tough that is able to withstand great strain without tearing or breaking. And that's what Jesus demonstrated toward his followers, didn't he? These weren't perfect guys. Judas was there who denied him. Peter was there who betrayed him. Everybody's going to abandon him. But it says specifically in this passage that having loved his own, he loved them to the very end. This is characteristic of God's love throughout history. Jeremiah 31.3, God said to his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us 15 characteristics of love in verses 4 through 7. And in verse 7, the last description of love has to do with it never giving up. It says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So God wants us to love others the way he loves us. He wants us to be slow to give up on people. We live in a time of disposable relationships, don't we? If you're on Facebook, you know what it means to unfriend someone. But whether you're on Facebook or not, we know that many people in our culture unfriend other people. One of the things I love is to meet people who've known each other for 30, 40, 50 years. 
Some friends of mine, Peter and Linda Stracina, I know Peter and a friend of his, Robert Thompson, have been friends, what, 40 plus years, something like that? You probably, maybe you have relationships like that that are just long-term. Well, God wants us to stick with people. And that means sticking with them when they hurt us, disappoint us, sometimes even when they abandon us. I've got a picture that uh, I want you to see on the screen there of a missionary woman by the name of Karen Watson. Uh, when she was 37 years old, she went overseas as a Christian aid and relief worker, worker to Iraq. While she was there, uh, she was one of four workers who were killed in a shooting, died after their vehicle was ambushed. Something that was unusual with Karen is she knew how dangerous where they would be going would be. So before she left Bakersfield, California, which was where she was from, she left a letter with her pastor and he, she told her pastor, don't open this letter unless you hear that I've died. Well, this was about 15 years ago. What was it? Uh, March 15, 2004. Her pastor, Pastor Phil, opened the letter, and I'm just going to read part of the letter. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible in terms of my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place, but I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To, su to suffer was expected. His glory was my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work. I'm writing this as if I am still working among my people group. In regards to any service for me, keep it small and simple. Yes, simple. Just preach the gospel. Then near the end of the letter, she has these words. Care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. Then she closed the letter with, there is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. In his care, Salam, Karen. Now that's tough love, isn't it? That's tough love in terms of her relationship with Jesus. Tough love for the people of Iraq that she was serving. Strong, resilient, able to withstand great strain without breaking. So the first characteristic, love never gives up. Second characteristic that we see, the second mark of Jesus' love, tough love, is that it always goes first. And by going first, I mean taking the initiative. And we see that. John 13 is probably uh, best known for the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. We read verse 1. In verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that his father had given, authority, given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. He knew that his earthly ministry was ending, that he would be crucified, resurrected back into heaven. And with the knowledge of all these things, verse 4 says, So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a table around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel he had around him. It's interesting, Jesus didn't say anything. 
He didn't do anything to draw special attention to himself. He just got up and began washing their feet. It's interesting as you read that passage, even in those verses, 13, 3 through 5, we see that the tools, the implements for foot washing were available because this was a custom in their culture. Anytime people gathered for some kind of a meeting, there would be foot washing um, as a consideration for the fact that you got dirty wearing sandals walking through dusty uh, roads. So the water, the basin, the towel, everything was there. There was only one thing missing that one thing was somebody willing to wash the feet the disciples knew the tradition Jesus knew the tradition or the cultural practice were they unwilling or just simply unobservant but Jesus did what no one else was willing to do tough love Jesus love goes first it takes the initiative I um I ran a, a couple of, across a couple of quotes that I really liked on initiative. One was, uh, someone said, initiative is doing the right thing without waiting to be asked. It's a great quality, isn't it? When we do the right thing without waiting to be asked. Think about growing up. You know, were there any kids in your family that washed the dishes simply because the dishes were dirty? Or did they wait to be asked? Tough love, Jesus' love, takes the initiative. Another thing is uh, to take initiative. Oswald Chambers, uh, who wrote a book called My Utmost for His Highest, said to take initiative is to make a beginning. And that's a good quote, isn't it? It's not doing everything, but it's that start. And I, I ran across a Hindu proverb I, that I really liked. That I feel like uh, illustrates this idea of going first. And the proverb is, you can't cross the sea by merely staring at the water. How many times have you been in a situation at home or in our city or at our church where somebody was saying, you know, somebody ought to do something? That's kind of a staring at the water mentality, isn't it? You can't cross the sea by just staring at the water. What are some areas in your life where maybe you're just kind of staring at the water? Maybe it's you think you need a better relationship with your spouse or with your kids or with your neighbors. You need uh, to be better connected with other people. Well, what are you doing to make that happen? Are you just staring at the water or are you taking init initiative? Are you doing what Jesus did? And that means going first. Related to this idea of going first is the next principle that we see here. And that's, uh, so we've got what so far? Four marks, Jesus' love never gives up. Jesus' love always goes for, first. And then third, Jesus' love always gives help. So the story there of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples wraps up with verses 12 through 15. It says, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And then he asked a really profound question. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? And of course, the obvious answer is, yeah, you've washed our feet. But that's not what he had done. He had done much more than that. He says in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is who I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. If there's one characteristic that stands out in the life of Jesus, it's how servant-hearted he was. I talked about the fact that every interaction uh, you see Jesus have with people, you see Jesus showing love in different ways to those people. The other thing you see as an expression of that love is Jesus serving people, whether by teaching or healing or feeding or praying for children, whatever it is, he was always serving. In Luke twenty-two twenty-seven, Jesus said, but I am among you as one who serves. That's profound as well, isn't it? Well, generally, we think about how other people are treating us. You know, if you ask people, how, was, how are things at church? Their answers tend to be kind of consumer answers. Well, I had heard that passage talked about before, or people weren't very friendly, or the music wasn't um, the kind of music I like. See, those are all serve me comments. But Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. How were things at church? If you say, boy, the pastor really connected with uh, college students today and what he talked about. And uh, the music, man, there were some new songs, but I noticed that there was a whole generation of people I haven't seen here before that were just really engaged with the songs we were singing. And I got the opportunity to meet several people that were sitting around me. I went to a class. See, those are servant answers. Jesus' love always gives help. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know what we need today during this pandemic? We need... Christians all across America, all across the world, who to take a renewed commitment to be servant-hearted the way Jesus is, to take initiative, to give help, to be willing to do the difficult things. President Jimmy Carter wrote a book called Sources of Strength, and in it he tells a story of a Cuban pastor in Florida whose ministry is primarily to the poorest of immigrants in his city. And uh, President Carter asked, uh, the man, pastor's name is Eloy Cruz, and President um, Carter asked Eloy Cruz one time, what was the key or the principle, the guideline of his ministry? And Pastor Cruz said, we need to only have two loves in life. We need to love the Lord and then we need to love the person who happens to be in front of us at any time. See, servants are always thinking of the person in front of them. Wherever they are, they're thinking about how can I help? What can I do? And boy, there's so many different ways we can serve and help. I don't know who uh, said this. I couldn't find the originator. But someone said the measure of a person is not how many people you serve, but how many people serve you. What can we learn from the example of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples? Well, be willing to do the most menial of jobs. I can remember we had a harvest festival here at 
uh, Hoffmantown years ago where it was a substitute for Halloween and we'd had hundreds of kids in the building. Afterwards, all the families had left and there was cleanup and I saw several uh, business owners, uh, guys like James Zanios and Paul Cowles and many others and they were standing around. I can remember seeing James Zanios up on the ladder pulling tape off the uh, ceiling. Now, what he could have said is, you know, that's somebody else's job. But we had all these people serving in different ways. We've got friends in a class I go to, Doug and Beverly. Now, I'm sure they're not doing this now because of the shelter in place. But I, I remember talking to them at one point, and they're retired and stay at home. And one thing they do on trash day, after the, um, uh, the trucks come through, they, take, they go up and down their street and pull the cans back up alongside the houses. And that's thoughtful in two ways. One is it helps the people who are at work uh, not have to do that when they get home. But the other thing is it takes away the advertisement that people aren't home uh, if the uh, cans stay out there all day. Nobody asks them to do that. They're just happy to do it. I know another a couple here at uh, this church, John and Linda Stockton. And I was talking to them in a, about, maybe not every week, but at least every two weeks, John and Linda call every single person in their, Bible, their Sunday Bible class and just check on them to see how they're doing. They don't wait for somebody to call them. They start out, they do the serving. Who does God want you to be serving? Jesus' love never gives up. Jesus' love always goes first, and Jesus' love always gives help. And then finally in this passage, Jesus' love always gives grace. There's so much more. There are 38 verses in John 13. But in verse 21, it says, after Jesus had been talking to his disciples, and now everybody's still there, it says, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit, and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of, me, uh, one of you will betray me. He said, and then I'm going to skip a little bit to save time down to 26 and 27. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Jesus, Judas, as, uh, Judas Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. There's an amazing extension of grace, of love, of forgiveness, of grace in how Jesus treats the disciples in this passage. We told you already, or we talked about in verse 1, having loved them, he loved them to the end. He's washed the feet, and he's washed the feet of all of them. And yet in this passage, we learn he knows three things. He knows Judas will betray him. And then down in verse 38, he knows Peter will deny him three times. And then over in Matthew 26, which is Matthew's account of this passage, Matthew adds that Jesus told them, before the night is over, you will all desert me. And how does Jesus respond to these people who heard him deeply, really? Betray, deny, abandon. He shows love and grace and forgiveness. How are you at being forgiving and gracious toward others? Not just toward people who are nice to you, 
but people who treat you badly. Why should we show grace? Well, we should show grace and forgiveness because of all that God has done to forgive us. To come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, first we need to acknowledge that we're sinful people, that we've done a lot of things that were wrong. And you know that, I know that. But 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He'll forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We should forgive us because God forgives others. We, I mean, we should forgive others because God forgives us. We should also forgive others because there are so many times when we need forgiveness and grace from others. There's a guy named Leith Anderson. I had the privilege of meeting a number of years ago. He's a pastor and Bible teacher. He's written some great books. He said about uh, forgiveness, he said, in terms of our forgiving others, that forgiving is freeing. Carrying around grudges, resentment, hurt, and anger can be a huge burden. It's like carrying rocks. Little resentments or little rocks, deep wounds and uh, bitterness are big rocks. Imagine carrying around rocks like this all day and then sleeping on them at night. Refusing to forgive is a terrible burden. But when we forgive, there's great freedom in Christ. Jesus' love always gives grace. There's a picture up on your screen of two people. Their names, I'm hope, I hope I get Minkaye's right, is Minkaye and Steve. One of the reasons I'm showing you this picture is Minkaye just passed away this past week on Thursday, April 28th, at the age of 85. Minkaye and Steve had been friends for a long time. This particular picture was taken about 35 years ago when Minkaye was in his 60s and uh, Steve was in his late 40s, early 50s. But I need to tell you how they met. In 1956, Steve's father, whose name was Nate, went along, there were five missionary couples, and they went to a remote area of Ecuador to reach out to people who had, most of them had never even seen an Anglo person, but they had never heard the gospel. And the five men kept taking these exploratory trips to connect first with the people of various tribes. With one tribe, the Wyodani Indians, they had this encounter. The first encounter was good, but for some reason, and they learned some different things later, but the next time they came, the Indians attacked and killed all five of those men. One of those men, Nate, was Steve's father. But the story doesn't end there. Uh, Nate's, let me get this straight, Nate's sister, Rachel, uh, went with another group of missionaries to reach out to that same group of people. Also, another one of the missionaries killed was a man named Jim Elliott. His wife, Elizabeth, uh, went also with their children to live with these Indians. And Steve grew up spending long periods of time in Ecuador with his aunt, Rachel. During this time, while uh, Rachel and Steve and Elizabeth Elliot and others were living with the Indians, uh, uh, many of the, uh, this tribe came to Christ, including Minkaye, who had killed Nate's father. 
eventually, uh, Minkai was uh, baptized, became an elder in his church, would speak just like this to uh, the believers in his tribe on weekend. And Steve, when he was 15 years old, was baptized while living uh, with his aunt among the people of that tribe. Steve forgave Minkai for murdering his father. They became friends, and eventually they traveled together. For years, the two of them traveled all over the world telling others the incredibly surprising story of the love of Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, We forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. So we want to remember what's new, the love of Jesus, how he loves us, how he wants us to love others. What's known, that Jesus' love never gives up, always goes first, always gives help, always gives grace. Let's pray that we'll love our neighbors, our family, everyone who's in front of us with this kind of love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and this passage. And we thank you, Lord, for your love, your incredibly tough, enduring, strong, faithful love for us. And Lord, as you live in us, will you enable us, will you love, help us to love others with the love you have for us. And Father, we pray that we won't just treat people how, uh, on the basis of how they treat us, that we won't just love people who love us, but we will remember that you love us not because we're lovable, but because you're loving. We just commit now, Lord, and ask you to love others through us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks very much.